This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's show, there's one day to go until the New Hampshire primary and tensions are high. Three Monitor reporters join me to handicap the races and to tell us what we should be looking for next. So my name's Clay Wirestone. I'm a writer and editor here at the Monitor, and I'm excited to welcome on our Election Day Eve podcast three of the Monitor's top political minds. Not just one of the Monitor's top political minds, which would be Ella Nilsson, according to Politico. Hi, Ella. Hi, Clay. Um, but also Megan Doyle. Hi, Megan. Hey. And Allie Morris. Hi, Allie. Hi. Who seems to be taking a selfie as, as, as we speak. Um, so everyone, let's just go around here real fast and talk about who you have seen today or yesterday. And... Um, uh, in terms of the candidates, and a, a quick snapshot, not Snapchat, but snapshot of the impressions that you got. So, Ali, uh, where have you been? I have been following Marco Rubio around, um, and it was after his debate performance on Saturday when he got pretty beat up by some of the governors, including Chris Christie. So I think it was a question of talking to voters and seeing if that swayed them at all. Um, at his first event in Londonderry on Sunday morning, he drew up quite a big crowd, And people were pretty pumped about him, but he seemed a little bit off his game. But today, um, I was with him on Monday at an employee town hall and then at the Barley House. And, um, you know, he, he, in his closing arguments, he delivered them in a strong way. And voters seemed, um, some voters at least seemed interested in him. Now, did he address the, uh, his kind of repetition of the talking point at the debate on Saturday night at all? He didn't address it, but I noticed that this morning he's been working to get off some of his talking points a little bit more. He, he, when he was talking about national security today, he normally talks about how um, he wants to beef up the military, but today he added in some more specifics about how he wants to deal with ISIS uh, and some other areas. So I think he's sort of going a little bit more in-depth than he may have gone in the past. Okay. Um, and uh, Ella, what about you? Who, who have you seen? Um, I was at Bernie Sanders today. He was at a rally at the Palace Theater in Manchester with um, his wife and son and uh, three super cute grandkids. Um, And then yesterday I was also up in Plymouth at a Donald Trump rally. So that was kind of interesting to see those two. um, Trump has events all over the state today and Bernie is actually kind of closing out his stuff today with this big... Uh, get out the vote concert with UNH students and uh, some well-known indie bands, including Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros and Big Data and I can't remember who else is there, but some some uh, some bigger names. And uh, so he he was kind of refining, you know, I think a lot of these guys are sort of like refining their messages and really sort of trying to distill down why voters should choose them. And for Sanders today, it was all about you know, it was it was mostly a repetition of his main themes, but it's sort of like an us against them political revolution type of deal. The whole message about the system being rigged and certainly his audience was responding to that enthusiastically. Um, and it was interesting to see Donald Trump yesterday because he's kind of his his campaign personas have kind of uh, 
evolved a little bit, I think, over the course of the past few months. And I think yesterday you were really sort of seeing him get back to the persona that he had in the beginning of being this outsider and really like slamming big interests and big money, um, special interests. And uh, it was actually kind of interesting. Some of his talking points, I think, sounded very similar to Sanders' talking points yesterday. He was talking a lot about prescription drugs and negotiating better prices for high cost prescription drugs. And that's something that's directly out of Sanders and even Clinton's stump speech. So I thought that was interesting. And uh, boy, I tell you, Bernie Sanders with his with his wife and, and child and grandkids, that's that's kind of a different different approach for him, too. Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, he's brought his his wife has been sort of a more of a presence on the campaign trail lately. But um his, I think his grandkids have only been out once before because he went ha- uh, trick-or-treating on Halloween with them. Um, but, you know, it's sort of the last big showing with the family and everything. So, sure, yeah. sure. And, uh, and Megan, what about, what about you? Who, who did you go, go to see? So on Saturday, I um, dropped in to see Carly Fiorina in the morning. She was the only um, uh, candidate that was in New Hampshire other than maybe Jim Gilmore, who who was not at the debate later that night, and that was something she discussed with her voters and and really took shots at um, ABC for excluding her. She hasn't been polling high enough to be included, and she's sort of a long shot here, but her uh, super PAC has a really extensive ground game in New Hampshire, and um, she was trying to say that it was not fair in the New Hampshire primary process and tradition to exclude her and um, nicknamed uh, the network the Anything But Carly Network. Um, And then uh, was it the debate with Ella on Saturday night? And then this morning went to Manchester to see all of the Clintons, Hillary, Bill, and Chelsea were all at uh, Manchester Community College today. And um, like, like Bernie, we're sort of trying to refine their message. One of the things I thought was interesting, both Bill and Hillary directly spoke to Sanders' young supporters. He's been, um, you know, polling incredibly far ahead of, of Hillary with young voters. And, mm-hmm. and Bill specifically talked about, um, uh, you know, he appealed to millennial young voters, he said, and, and talked about, you know, translating anger into answers and resentment into results, I think was, was his quote. Um, and and targeted Bernie a little more uh, directly as he has on on this whole weekend, and then Hillary was a little more of the the good cop to Bill's bad cop in that situation. Right. She uh, made an appeal to Sanders voters really to tell them uh, to thank them for being involved in the political process and told them that um, and I'll quote: "You may not support me now, but I will always support you." Right. So I, f- I found that interesting when she was speaking in a community college, there were, uh, you know, a, a good number of young people in the audience. Um, and and that's a, a group in which she's really lagging behind right now. So I think they were hoping to sway some undecided young people today. Well, I mean, it's a delicate line she has to walk, right? I mean, you want to make the criticism of Bernie Sanders so that people understand why you're the better candidate, but, you know, also apparent, you know, if she becomes the nominee, which still seems relatively likely, she she wants to make sure that those people still support her and don't see her as just doing nothing but tearing down Sanders. Right, and and Bill has 
typically, at least in the last several weeks, taken the more negative tone on, on Bernie and gone after him in a little more aggressive way where she's tried to be in some way more reasoned, talked a little bit more about health care and her policies in particular uh, without being too um, negative about, about Bernie himself. I want to talk about the, the Bernie Sanders-like phenomenon, quote-unquote, for a second here. I think I've seen some statistics that says something something along the lines of, you know, two-thirds of Democratic voters under the age of 45 are supporting Sanders, something along those lines. And certainly once you get, like, under 30, the, the percentages go up even higher in terms of, like, I think out of Iowa, a, a stunning number of younger voters caucused for, for Sanders. I mean... You guys, uh, you know, are all um, in your in your 20s. Obviously, your social networks are probably going to be full of people that are um, supporting Sanders. You or you've, you know, obviously interviewed folks like that. What do you think uh, about Bernie Sanders has resonated so much with young voters, particularly here in New Hampshire, where, I mean, he has a, a very commanding lead. And you can fight amongst yourselves as to who. <laughs> Who wants to go first? Well, I can go first. Um, I do think, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of young people, you know, Bernie's been around for a long time. He's 74 years old. And so a lot of young people, you know, haven't been alive for the majority of time that he's been a politician. But I think I, I hear this no matter how old voters or how old Sanders supporters are, is that they think that he's very authentic and they say, you know, he's been saying the same stuff for years, and we really appreciate that. Um, they see him as not sort of one of these scripted political people. And I think especially in contrast to Clinton, which, she, you know, she has certainly changed her positions on certain issues in the past few years. And I think that they sort of compare her to Sanders and, and sort of say, well, you know, look at look at his record. He knows where he stands, and he's known it for, for decades. Um, but I also really think that that he just speaks very directly to people, um, kind of in the same way that that Trump does, although Sanders is obviously very different than Trump. But, you know, he just he understands that young voters, a lot, you know, college students have are facing a lot of student debt. That's one of his main things. Um, and he talks directly to middle class and working class people saying, you know, you are right. The system is rigged against you. It's the deck is stacked and it's too difficult for you to sort of make a living these days. And that's just not right. The system's not fair. So I think that a lot of people really respond to that and, and feel like, you know, even though that Clinton certainly says the same things, that Sanders is somewhat more direct and maybe a little bit more overt in saying the system is rigged against you. Mm -hmm. I would also point out that one of the things that came up today at the Clinton event, uh, the group, when we talk about young voters, millennial voters, first-time voters who are 18 to 25 maybe, you're also talking about a, a group of people that grew up during, you know, the 9-11 is like a really significant memory in their lifetimes, um, grew up during conflict in the Middle East, and some of the, the weariness of that conflict, you know, also maybe came into the job market or are still feeling the effect of the recession um, in the past several years. So have this feeling just in their in their experience that something isn't working or that, you know, there's that the system as it is isn't um, isn't the way it should be. And I think that Bernie speaks to that a little bit better than Hillary does when 
when people challenge her as being an establishment candidate, one of her favorite responses is that she would be the first female president. And, you know, she'll say, I'm running to be the first woman elected to the Oval Office. What's less establishment than that? And I don't know that that's something that translates as well with young voters as it does with uh, women who are a little bit older, maybe more middle-aged women. Um, so that that's something that I was thinking about today during the event and, and uh, that I think is also part of why Bernie has done so well, just kind of the life experiences that the young voters who are, you know, that the sliver of, of experience they've had in the past, I don't know, 15 years. I mean, I think, <clears throat> at least from what I have seen going to more of the Republican events than Democrats, that I don't think candidates are making a specific play for young voters, whether that's because they don't really think that they make up a huge demographic here in New Hampshire. But, I mean, just going to these events, I don't see a lot of young people there. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes, it, at least at the Republican events, when you don't see a lot of young people in the crowd and most of the people look to be over 50 years old, you're not hammering messages that might appeal to the younger voters. Uh, and so I think that might just kind of sway things a little bit here as well. But, you know, Marco Rubio has made, he's done it differently in that he tries to make, you know, Uber and the sharing economy. That was his thing for a, a little while, a couple mm-hmm. months ago. He hasn't really brought that, that back recently. But I don't know if that's more of a reflection of who's showing up to the events. I don't think I've met a voter under age 35 in the past two weeks. Well, and certainly even when, when Jeb Bush was here, you know, he's, he's put an emphasis on some of, in some of his campaign rhetoric in talking about, you know, the, the 21st century economy and how would you build a government, you know, if you're just starting from scratch based on what we, you know, the way our economy is run and, and stuff along, the, along those lines. Um, it does strike me, I think I saw someone tweet about this a, a few days ago, that, that the support of Bernie Sanders supporters really suggests you know, how much of our political rhetoric just in general is directed towards older people. You know, not if you're not just a senior citizen, then somebody who's, you know, middle aged and has a mortgage, essentially. And the fact that someone like Bernie Sanders is explicitly tailoring a lot of his message to younger voters just shows how underserved they are in terms of an audience for, you know, political rhetoric that's directly aimed at them. Um, you know, because, you know, college and healthcare. I mean, just speaking directly to the kind of the economic anxieties of, of that group. Um, so, let's, um, so let's go to the old, uh, the old handicapping because people are going to start casting ballots well, actually in probably about eight or nine hours if we count the, uh, the midnight folks, but then most everybody else tomorrow morning. So uh, let's just talk, uh, let's just do some good old-fashioned kind of, of predicting here. We'll, we'll start on the, uh, on the Republican side because it's a little more complicated and we were just doing it. So um, how, how do we all see the shape of the race now? You know, I think a lot of people were saying for a long time, ah, it's going to be Trump first, then maybe second. You know, after Iowa would be maybe Rubio, Cruz will be in there, and then some establishment guys. Obviously, now we've had Krubi, uh, Rubios. <laughs> it's the weird combination of Cruz and Rubio. No, we've, since we've had a Rubio's uh, debate flub, a lot of people now talking about other people finishing second uh, in the Republican race. So what do you guys think about think about that here in New Hampshire? Come on, let's, let's have some ill-informed speculation, or informed speculation for that matter. What do, what do we think? 
Okay, I'll go first. Okay. Um, <clears throat> or you can just debate. I, I don't care. Or just say I, I, I have no right to even ask. Well, quite frankly, I think that I have been surprised how many people I found who are still undecided. I just talked to four undecided voters in the last hour. And so I think, um, I think a lot of them are thinking about electability, but they're also thinking about the people themselves. And it, that's, it sounds weird, but I think that's sort of a balance. I mean, I just spoke to a woman who had been with Rubio for a long time. Uh, then she met Bush at a town hall, really liked him. Same thing with Kasich. And so she needed to come back to look Rubio in the eyes to make sure that he was her candidate. Um, but, you know, people are relying, when you're relying on those types of feelings, I think it's hard to kind of judge. But I think there's a real race for second place. I think Donald Trump will probably come out on top. Mm-hmm. And then just there's so many candidates who who attract the same kinds of voters that they'll probably end up splitting a big chunk of the vote. And whereas maybe one establishment type candidate could have amassed a large portion had there not been so many others, I think they might end up just dividing a large chunk and and might be within just percentage points of each other. Yeah. I am not going to make a prediction <clears throat> for a winner because I still don't totally know. I do think that, you know, Donald Trump is still polling in the top and still kind of far and away <clears throat> over everybody else. But I do think that his one weak spot is his ground game. Um, and I actually managed to get into Trump's office because his campaign had not been letting any reporters into his office for the past mm-hmm. few months. And so they finally, like the New York Times did this article about you know, him sort of wanting to show off his call centers in New Hampshire after his Iowa ground game was questioned when he finished second place. And he freely admitted that, like, he hasn't done this uh, ever before. And he doesn't really, like, he didn't really know what a ground game was and really didn't put that much emphasis on it. Um, And I do think that in New Hampshire, his staff has been very small. And I think that only in the past few weeks, they've really sort of been ramping things up. So, he definitely is a candidate that feels like he is sort of the he's just trying to make his case to voters and he thinks that that will be everything that gets them out to the polls but i don't think that is everything that gets them out to the polls so i'm not, <laughs> right i'm right. not i'm not totally sure yet i wonder if there's a big um, snowstorm right exactly it's a bit blizzarding outside right now i'm i was just going to say I, I have no idea how to predict what we're looking at here what? but that the snow coming in, I I definitely think will have an effect on voter turnout, especially among older people. Yeah. So I'm curious to see the demographic breakdown of the people that vote tomorrow, and and to you know figure out how much that affects turnout. Yeah. Especially oh, the other if their school canceled. And right. Yeah, their yeah, school yeah, cancellations yeah. for sure. UNH is actually curtailing their operations today. I got the text, but. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this this primary does fall in a, in a year where UNH is in session while the primary is happening. In the past two election cycles, that hasn't been. It's been in January when they've been on break. So that's going to be another thing that's going to be interesting to see because the college students will be, um, you know, whether they're in state or out of state, will be able to vote in the New Hampshire primary. So it'll be interesting to see how many of them actually do that. I mean, I just think it's remarkable that you're looking at a situation where essentially you have an ostensible front runner. How much of a front runner he is, as, as Ella is saying, we, we might not know. But basically, you've got four, at, at least four candidates who are within one or two percentage points of each other in the polls for second place. You know, you've got Kasich, Bush, 
Rubio and Cruz, and I think uh, Christie's a little bit further down. But, I mean, there are four people that plausibly could win second place but I think in New two, Hampshire. I mean, I mean, that's remarkable. A win can mean different things, right? Right. Donald Trump came in second. People, like, panned it as a loss. Mark Rubio came in third, and people touted it as a victory. I mean, I think it's all about how you spin it, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to set your expectations low, and then you end up coming in third, that could be a major win for your campaign. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of candidates here. Bush, Kasich, people see New Hampshire as their only option. And if they can squeak out one of those top spots, even if it's not first or second, I think they could easily turn that into some sort of win or momentum. Right. Well, and I mean, I think it was it was uh, NBC's Chuck Todd who was making the point today that, um, you know, back when Rubio was looking to be consolidating establishment support, there was all this talk that New Hampshire would be the big winnowing state that after this, after New Hampshire, you'd have at least two or three people drop out. But that now he doesn't see that 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 might not even happen at all. I, just, you know, there there could be a real reason for someone like Jeb Bush or Kasich if they come in really close, in a really close third, to, to stay in it. And certainly Cruz is going to stay in it for a while. So, you know, at most maybe you lose one. Well, especially when their major states are coming up. I think, I mean, right. Florida's around the corner. Ohio, I think, is a little further out. And then Texas is one of the big ones coming up. So if your state is in sight. Yeah, why would you? And, and 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 frankly, it's one of the reasons why. I mean, we talked about this on uh, on Thursday, but it's one of the reasons I was surprised that some candidates dropped out who did. You know, somebody like Rand Paul, even Martin O'Malley, for that matter. I, I don't understand why they didn't just didn't just ride it a little bit longer. But <laughs> I mean, what did they have to lose? I mean, a few nights money, of a money. well, <laughs> but I mean, you know, a few nights of a hotel stay, I guess. Um, I think there's also. You know, yeah, you can travel economically at some point. You know, the, the candidate themselves isn't the big driver of cost, it's staff. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that got Martin O'Malley out of the race. We couldn't afford to pay staff anymore. Right. Um, so then let's turn to the Democratic side. It's obviously not as complicated <laughs> as a race, and the polls have been showing uh, a pretty clear Sanders lead for a while now. I think 538 gives Sanders a 99% chance of winning New Hampshire at this point. Um, well, first of all, that's just remarkable when you consider that all of this state's basically professional political class has lined up behind Hillary Clinton. You know, but but secondly, I mean, do you, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that Sanders is is such a clear favorite in the state, or do you think that there might still be some some magic uh, Clinton comeback? I think there's some caution to be had because Hillary was trailing, though not by as great a margin, in 2008 and came in and and won, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a a kind of surprise victory here. But I don't don't think that's going to happen. I I think she'll, um, she'll lose, though I don't believe the margin will be as great as it's been in some of the polls lately. Um, they have been downplaying expectations a little bit, kind of to Allie's point earlier, so that, you know, if the margin isn't, isn't very big, they can maybe write off that hill over, you know, Vermont's right next door. Of course, Sanders won New Hampshire. Um, like Hillary at the uh, 100 Club dinner in Manchester on Friday night, a big Democratic Party fundraiser said, oh, you know, some of the 
the pundits and, you know, people have been saying I should just skip New Hampshire, but I love New Hampshire too much to skip it. You know, I, I'll, I'll fight to the end here, no matter what. Kind of, again, looking to, to downplay her performance and, and will probably, like she did in Iowa, use a slim margin of difference in their votes to, um, to help her in the, in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was also kind of interesting. I feel like she said something uh, at that debate watch party stop in Durham after the debate on Thursday that was actually kind of condescending about New Hampshire a little bit. And it was sort of like, she's sort of like, well, we know that you love your neighbors over in Vermont or something. You know, it wasn't it wasn't exactly phrased like that, but I was just kind of like, ooh, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, Though she has today, she talked a little bit about uh, not only her support from New Hampshire's elected officials like Jean Shaheen and Maggie Hassan, but mentioned the support she has from from people in Vermont. Um, you know, right. like, yeah, yeah, folks who, who, as she pointed out, not so subtly, definitely know her opponent, but have chosen to support her anyway. So I think she's walking a really fine line on that, um, trying to, to win over voters, but at the same time, Kind of tamper down expectations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I do think that I do think it is going to be a, a Sanders win by how much I think it's going to be interesting to see, and I do think it's going to be really interesting to see if there is a good young voter turnout. Um, so that's what mm-hmm. I'm sort of going to be looking for. I my my <laughs> feeling tends to be if if I if Hillary finishes you know within basically ten percentage points if she manages to you know lose by only like you know six or seven that will be seen as as a victory basically because she will have you know pushed pushed her way you know back and if she'd only had a few more days you know which which i mean is is what bill clinton did in 1992 mm-hmm. in new hampshire i guess he won but he lost by eight percentage points to paul Songus, but everyone had written him off so yeah um so okay well uh, for our last question in today's podcast, I'll just go around here and uh, ask you all um, for kind of the one thing, the one story, the one storyline that you will be looking for in tomorrow's elections. What's the one thing you're going to be interested to to find out or to follow? And, uh, um, you know, you know, youth turnout was was something you guys mentioned um, you know, I, I think for me, the, the one I'll be interested to see, and it's not an original one particularly, is, you know, Donald Trump, you know, will he actually be able to win his first first primary? And how does that change his campaign or not? You know, if he actually does win, does that make Republicans once again start seriously thinking that he might be their nominee? So that, that'll kind of be the thing I'm, I'm interested to ultimately see. Um, yeah, I guess along that same line, I'm also, I think that's the one thing I think, you know, with the whole, the whole thing that we've seen about establishment candidates versus outsider candidates, I think it's pretty sure that sort of the, the outsider candidate is probably going to win on the democratic side, but I think it's going to be interesting now with this sort of resurgent of the so-called establishment Republican candidates, whether the electorate is sort of going to, as it sort of has done in the past, kind of traditionally stick with a more moderate candidate, um, or if it's going to go all out for Donald Trump. Um, Megan or Allie? 
I'm curious to see if any candidates drop out after, you know, after tomorrow's election results come in. Um, if, if indeed we do see that New Hampshire is kind of trims the field a little bit. Blood in, will there be blood in the water? Will, will somebody have to, have to, have to go? And Allie? Um, well, I'm interested in sort of two things. One, I, Ella and I have talked about, I'm curious when I go to the polls tomorrow, if I meet a lot of these sort of first-time voters to see if Donald Trump is getting them out to the polls and if they are voting for Donald Trump. You know, if he, he's brought so many new eyeballs to the debates, like, is he really drawing in new New Hampshire voters who haven't really joined in before? Because I believe the Secretary of State's office is suggesting that this will be the biggest yeah. primary voting, you That's know, voting true. block of all time. Mm -hmm. So, So I'm curious to see that. And then I'm also just curious to see which you know, so-called establishment candidate will come out victorious. I'm so curious, just because so many people I talk to are divided between all of them. And I'm just so interested to see when they actually get into the voting booth, who are they picking? Well, and it's close enough that, you know, and, and no one's going to like this suggestion, but we may not even know tomorrow night. Like, it, it may be a situation. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> It may be that we have to wait until Wednesday or Thursday to actually know where how those are all separated. It's true. That's happened in Iowa with the Democrats. So we'll see. But anyway, well, thank you all so much for coming. It was fun. Thank you, Megan, Ella, Allie. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Clem. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to episodes of this podcast series through iTunes or Stitcher. And for all the latest coverage, please visit politics.conqueredmonitor.com. We'll see you in a few days.